शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्री महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय श्री वृंदावन धन की जय कार्तिक भ्रात की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रमान हरिहरि सो प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू फ्रॉम श्री वृंदावन धन एंड अगेन हैप्पी टू बी बैक फॉर और वीकली क्यू एन ए स्टिल समहाउ रिकवरिंग फ्रॉम सम लास्ट डेज एफ नॉट फीलिंग वेरी वेल नॉट येट इन माई हंड्रेड एंड एट परसेंट बट वी आर ऑन आवर बेस्ट अटैम्प्ट हियर विद योर प्रेयर्स एंड गुड विशेस ट्राइंग टू कंटिन्यू सर्विंग दू हरिकता सो Let's begin. If you have any questions, any topic, something you would like to hear about, we will begin with that. And of course, in that sense, I already have two two questions that have been sent. One that was uh, from the previous meeting. We were not, we didn't have time for dealing with that one. Uh, from Nisrim Habalaba Prabhu from Scotland. And then there is a second question sent by Sakirati Devi. Uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. So let's begin with those two, and let's see where where do we end, and if we have time for for more. Hmm? So <clears throat> the question by Nishim Habalava Prabhu was: He says, in your lectures on Brahmara Gita, you have said. in regards to krishna sending udav to braj that udav has samashwarya to not misunderstand the madhurya of braj and he has some madhurya to not understand the madhurya of braj which is full of madhurya but also has aishwarya at its foundation could you please elaborate on this statement Okay yes we can say something about that so of course as you may recall we have done this series on brahmar gita some for the last almost half a year or more and we finished some months ago or maybe weeks ago and at one point we mentioned this idea of course there's much to say in that connection but udav goes to brindavan hmm, to send a message but arguably to receive a message himself uh, from the brajavasis a message that will create a, a transformation in him a total uh, if you will identity crisis for for good where he will recalibrate his own sense of devotion and and and, re, and, and discover a new face of krishna because udav is a personal minister servant assistant of sri krishna in dwarka so he knows krishna very closely his his closest closest servant and friend udav is in dasya rasa but there is some sakya in his disposition towards krishna so he's pretty intimate uh, as much as you can get almost in 
in a place like Dwarka, which is much different than Braj. So, in, in that sense, Udav, in his own estimation, he feels very fortunate I'm so close to Krishna, or basically the closest person to him in Dwarka. But suddenly, when he arrives to Vrindavan, he realizes every, everything, everyone here, everything here, not, not only everyone, everything, <laughs> is closer to Krishna than me in Dwarka. <laughs> Even the speck of dust, the blade of grass, what to speak of every single in participant of the Lila, Jashodananda, Sridam, Subal, Radha, and so on. So my point is that by by meeting the the, the Bhava or the Prem of the Brajabasis, he also meets a new Krishna because Krishna corresponds with the Prem of his devotees. Hmm? According to a type of Prem, God appears in a particular way. So here Udav in Vrindavan is discovering a new type of Prem, therefore he is discovering a new Krishna. Hmm? And he already knows Krishna, but now he realizes in a more comprehensive way, who is Krishna. And now he can grasp and understand much better those moments in, in Dwarka where Krishna is absorbed in Vrindavan, which are not only some moments, but Uda at least were, was able to catch some moments here and there because he was not a Brajabasi. He was not fully able to catch what was going on. But after meeting the Brajabasi, he started, so many things started to make sense for him regarding Krishna in Dwarka. But none, so therefore he goes there, in brief, long story, and he finds this type of Prem, and as we say, he becomes overwhelmed by the degree of Prem, but at the same time, <laughs> he's not uh, mistaking that Prem as something mundane, and something prakrita, ordinary. But at the same time, he's not able to fully uh, enter into that. So in, the, in this connection, he, in one level he appreciates that, and in one level he's overwhelmed by that, this quote comes. You know, like, okay, Udab has, uh, how was the quote? Let me see. He has some Aishwarya, to not misunderstand the Madhurya of Braj. So that's first point. So let's go with that one. Of course, as we mentioned, Madhurya, when we say Madhurya here, we are not referring to romantic love, because also that can be the case, Madhurya Bhav, Madhurya Rati. But Madhurya in general refers to the predominant mood of Vrindavan, which is intimacy. Madhurya, can be sweet, Madhurya means sweetness, literally. And sweetness in this case refers to the sweetness of the love of Vrindavan in general not only limited to the gopis, but to everything and everyone in Braj, all of them experience Madhurya, in contrast with Aishwarya, as we know. Aishwarya represents this sense of Krishna is God, and therefore I have to worship Him. I love Him because He's God, but we know that doesn't happen in, in Vrindavan. They love Krishna, they do not worship Krishna, they love Krishna, <laughs> and not because He's God. Mm. but because he is Krishna, basically. Mm. They worship God for the sake of Krishna. Mm. They worship Narayan. Everyone has Narayan in their altar at home, and they pray to Narayan, please protect Krishna, please bless us so we can meet Krishna. So all their worship of Narayan converges into 
their love for Krishna, interestingly. So the point is that the intimacy or the maduri of Vrindavan for the un untrained eye can seem ordinary. Because again, the Brajavadis are not addressing Krishna as Bhagavan. All the scriptures, Shastra, Upanishads, Veda, describe Krishna, Ishvara, Parama, Krishna, Sachidananda, Vigraha, Krishna, Stu, Bhagavan, Swayam, Purna Brahma, Sanatanam, Supreme Brahman, the Absolute, the Origin of Everything, Isabhashi, and so on. But nobody in Vrindavan will dare to call Krishna like that. So it may seem this is an ordinary thing. And just so there's chastising Krishna, and the gopis are chastising Krishna, <laughs> and Krishna's friends are chastising Krishna, <laughs> wrestling him to the ground. So again, all externally seems ordinary. That's, it doesn't seem to be the proper way to deal with God, it seems, externally. But again, the Madhuri of Vrindavan is not ordinary. This is not ordinary. The way Krishna reciprocates with them even, not only how they treat him, but how him, he himself acts act, reciprocates accordingly, how himself sees himself in connection to them. All that seems so ordinary from superficial appreciation. So Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur makes this important point in his, in the second part of his Raghavarma Chandrika. That's a recommended section for going further detail when he mentions these two, two points of uh, Mukdata and Sarbhaknyata. In Vrindavan, Krishna remains Sarbhaknya, which means omniscient. He remains being, he's God. It's not like he stopped being God. He's still God, but Mukdata. He acts in a very like naive way, innocent way, bewildered way. By, but the bewilderment is out of prem not out of Maya Shakti. So, he's God, and despite his God, he behaves as a baby with Jasoda. And that makes him especially charming. That allows for Madhurya. On the experience, Madhurya, when we speak of Madhurya, we speak about something which has Aishwarya at its foundation, but nonetheless expresses itself in intimacy. Vishwanath Chakravarti Tagore gives the example of um, of a baby. No? He says, why a baby? A baby may be charming, but why Krishna as a baby is especially charming? What's the difference between a baby, normal baby, and baby Krishna? Why Krishna is especially charming? And the, the answer is, because he's God. And despite his God, he acts as a baby. So the point is, because he's God means there is some Aishwarya there. He's God. And despite Aishwarya, Madhurya is there. He's acting in that intimate way we just showed. So Vrindavan is full of Madhurya, but actually is full of Aishwarya. All, there is more Aishwarya in, in Vrindavan than there is even in Vaikuntha. But the Aishwarya in Vrindavan is not appearing in the forefront, generally. In some particular case, it may come for a moment, like Brahma Vimohan Lila here and there. But generally, the Ishwari is just in the background and is buried, as I will say, like to say, under layers and layers of intimacy. But the Ishwari is necessary for Madhurya to happen. Because if you only have intimacy, but without Aishwarya, without divinity of Krishna, the intimacy is just ordinary intimacy. And the whole Lila becomes mundane. And of course, that's not the idea. 
So that on one side. So Udav has some Aishwarya. No? He, he has, he's a Jnani Bhakta in the sense he has knowledge that Krishna is God. Hmm? So when he goes to Vrindavan and he sees the love, the intimacy of the brother Basis for Krishna, they understand that they are loving God in this unique way, but nonetheless it's something extraordinary because Krishna is the object of their love and he is God. So that Aishwarya that he has, because he comes from Dwarka, and Dwarka is predominated by Aishwarya, although there is some intimacy on some level. In Mathura it's predominated by intimacy, although there is some Aishwarya. And in Vrindavan there is full intimacy. Although full Aishwarya is also there, but totally buried. So that's the first part. <clears throat> and the second part, I mentioned, and, but also Udav has some Madhurya to not understand the Madhurya of Braj. So what did I mean by that? Again, he's coming from Dwarka. So in Dwarka there is not a predominance of Madhurya, but there is some Madhurya nonetheless. There is some Nara Lila in Dwarka. There is some intimacy of Krishna with his associate, like with Udava. When Krishna is asking Uddhava, please give me some advice, what to do here, should I do this, should I do that? And that allows for certain informality and intimacy. But, again, he has his own experience of Madhurya, as I mentioned before. So he thought, okay, I know what Madhurya is. I know what intimacy with Krishna is. I'm his personal secretary. I'm intimate. I live with him. I, I give advice to him. I mean, I know what intimacy with Krishna is. So that experience that he has in one way somehow is conditioning him, if you will. So when he finds another type of intimacy like the one in Braj, he's not able to to grasp that basically. It's, it's like too much for him. Of course in time, as we mentioned, he gradually starts to digest that. He remains in Vrindavan almost for for a year wandering there with the Brajabhasis doing the first Brajamandal Parikram that we have registered of and, and acquiring further some scars and in this way expanding his his appreciation of all that. But that was my point when I say he has also some Madhurya to not understand the Madhurya of Braj. Implying his Madhurya is not the same Madhurya of Braj. So he comes with his own experience of Madhurya but when he found this other Madhurya which is so much different Somehow it creates such a contrast that is overwhelming for him and, and he shows the symptom that he shows in the Bhagavatam. So basically that will be the idea that I wanted to, to establish when saying that quote. No? But may, making this important point regarding the, the interaction between Madhurya and Aishwarya in Vrindavan, which is a very interesting point and I, and I will recommend Nishrim Habala Prabhu to to further explore that in, in in this last section of the of the second part of the Raghavarma Chandrika. So I hope that helps. Uh, so we will go with the next question, which is uh, from Sakyarati Devi. <clears throat> says like this. Why is it often not considered acceptable to say that a guru could make mistakes or say something wrong. Maybe the guru as an instrument of guru tattva is inspired 
without knowing it, without knowing it, to say something that's not correct, but that will touch the disciple deeply and work on the disciple or, or on other people, who is under so many layers of material conditioning. Maybe, if looked at with a narrow vision, the Guru is actually wrong, but from a broader perspective, he is not. Can you shed some light on this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, a good question, a classical question. And actually, interestingly, yesterday I, 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 I was meeting one friend of mine, Radha Madhav Prabhu, disciple of Srila Bhakti Balak Tirtha Maharaj, and, and we were discussing, we were together like for a few number of, of hours, and one of the main topics we were discussing were was this, basically. <laughs> because also he's writing a book on, 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 the, on the topic, basically, called Perfect Imperfection, on 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 how they say on the on the guru having a license to err no? to make mistakes so for sure some of the points i will share now for sure will come as a result of what we were talking yesterday <laughs> and eventually when the book is there more than recommended i had the chance of go through some sections of it that is very i mean i was invited even to contribute by sharing some some ideas and recommendations, very, very, very important contribution. So, yeah, sometimes we find that devotees feel or say that the Guru is not, cannot be mistaken anywhere, at any point, in any moment, that our culture is, that we are always the ones who are mistaken, and if some mistake apparently comes in the Guru, it's, it's not possible, and it's always our mistake that we are seeing mistakes in the Guru. Of course, I will clarify what do we mean by mistake also, because grammatically, semantically speaking, we can say something and, <laughs> and everyone may be understanding different things. So, so there is place for mistakes. Of course, there are mistakes and mistakes. No? Some mistakes shouldn't be there, ideally. Of course, also when we say Guru, there are Gurus and Gurus. <laughs> there are levels of Gurus. No? But of course, if we speak about the Guru as what it should be, ideally, which is a, a sincere devotee, surrender on what is of, with a certain level of Adhikar, hmm, minimum Madhyam Adhikar, if we speak about Guru as in the role of Diksha Guru, but, but we know only Diksha Guru is not necessarily applicable to the idea of Guru. Guru is Guru. <laughs> so, but if you are seriously and sincerely surrender, to Bhagavan, strictly speaking, in that sense, there are no mistakes, hmm? substantially speaking. But on a more relative platform, there can be mistakes, not only in the Madhyam Bhakta, but even in an Uttam Bhakta. Hmm? But again, those mistakes, as we will see, are not compromising the inner standing hmm? of the of the sadhu in this case. No? So sometimes we may have this shortcomings hmm, that don't challenge the devote, the purity of the devotee hmm, and do have those that actually challenge the purity of the devotee. So of course when I refer to those who challenge the purity of the devotee we are speaking about delicate mistakes like aparad, envy, uh, 
falling into gross sinful activities and so on that's one thing and of course we are not giving license to that in the name of ah oh, the guru can make mistakes no problem in that sense no but but there is place for s- s- soft if you will mild if you want to call it like that uh, mistakes which are not challenging the position the inner standing of sri guru and actually uh, as we were speaking yesterday with Radha Madhava, not only that, but actually act, uh, and also as what Sakirati said in the question, they are appearing to invite us, to test us, to challenge us, to make us deepen in our service attitude. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, yeah, there can happen with the Guru being instrumental of Bhagavan, who is putting us, the disciples, to test through those so-called mistakes. Mm-hmm. But... But yeah, it's important to understand because sometimes this idea is the guru is in total infallible. Every single thing <coughs> he or she does in every single way, every single word, every single act is absolutely perfect from tip to toe. But that instead of promoting a healthy development of faith, probably will is promoting the opposite. Even though in the beginning it may seem like very powerful and my guru is the perfect person, everything he does is absolute, and, and I, do not, I do not allow myself to see any single mistake in any type of way, and it may seem, wow, you have such a strong faith, but actually it may be speaking about my weak faith, <laughs> in which I do not have the capacity to accommodate certain relative statements or certain mild mistakes that the guru may have committed and grow through that. Hmm? So it may block our progress instead of facilitating it. Hmm? Or sometimes even in connection to that, I've heard some devotees promoting the notion that the Guru is omniscient, for example. Hmm? Like he knows everything at every moment. Hmm? So in, in this case we see that there, there will be many like as, ascribing qualities that belong to Krishna to the Guru. In the name of the Guru is Krishna. But we will try to explain in which sense the Guru is Krishna and in which sense it is not. Because if the Guru is Krishna in every single sense of the word, that may be even close to Mayabhat. (laughs) I became Krishna. (laughs) Something like that. So, for example, regarding omniscience, those who say the Guru is omniscient, well, the Guru is still a Jiva, Jiva Tattva, and... When it is mentioned the 64 qualities of Krishna, it is mentioned that the first 50 belong to Jivas as well. And the next ones, from 50 to 55 and from 55 to 60, they belong to other personalities and Jivas do not enter into that category. So omniscience appears in that list, but not in the first 50. In other words, omniscience is not something that a Jiva Atman can attain. Omniscience comes 52, almost, but not in the first 50. <laughs> and it is a, yeah, it's partially present in personalities like Mahadev, Shiva, but it's fully exhibited only in connection to Sri Hari. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we, Jivatma, and it's not Jivatma means Jivatma, no matter, no, no, that refers to Bada Jiva, but pure devotees, another thing, it's, it's not the case, it's not saying that in Shastra. Mm-hmm. Of course, we could say the Guru is omniscient in the sense that he knows all that we need to know to attain perfection. 
Uh, it's not that the guru needs to know everything. It's not that if I I ask my guru, Guru Dev, uh, is it raining now in South Africa or not? I don't know. Oh, you're not that bonafide. bonafide. So, <clears throat> no, it, because omniscience means that. means you know everything and everything. And it's not that the guru will know everything, about any, every single thing. And, and it's, there's no need for that. But the point is that the guru knows as much as is required for service. You know, knows the essential truths that take us to the goal of life. As Krishna says in the Gita, Dadami Buddhi Yogam Tam Krishna says, I give knowledge, I give enlightenment, I, 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 I bless the intelligence of my surrendered devotees to come to me. I give that particular awareness that is required for all that we require. So, so it's important that, and this is stated over and over again. Rather, Mother Prabhu in his book was also Bhaktinoda Thakur uh, in his Harinam Chintamani. Maybe you are aware of this section, which also speaks about the same point that when the when the Guru is like establishing, ascertaining the personal inclinations of his disciple, the this, the disciple should should help his Guru or her Guru by revealing his her mind about his own her own preferences internal affinity and Bhaktivinoda says as long as the disciple has not clearly established that as long as the yes the disciple as the guru has not clearly established the disciple's inclinations the guru's directions are not flawless the guru may give some wrong direction because the disciple has failed in sharing his own affinity. So again, that shows it's not that the Guru knows everything about what's going on in your heart, necessarily. No? It's, there is a part for us to play as well. No? Because again, in the name of glorifying the Guru, his omniscient, his that, somehow we may be lazy ourselves and expecting, oh, he will be do everything, he's so omniscient, so powerful, I don't need to do anything. And no, it's not like that. We need to do something else. <laughs> So yeah, they're, they're, the, the guru is not omniscient, and with all this, we are not downplaying at all the role of Sri Guru. Please, <coughs> the guru is not omnipotent, and all these omnis that belong to Bhagavan, Sarva Shaktiman, the name of Bhagavan, who is the the supreme source of all energy, or the supreme potent, omnipotent means the source of all potency. So Sarva Shaktiman, and Bhagavan is Trikalaknya. No, not the jiva. Trikalagna means knower of past, present, and future. The three divisions of time. Hmm? So, so again, when sometimes these ideas are ascribed to the guru, sometimes it happens because it is say, okay, but he is sakshat harid bena, samastra hari. He is directly hari. But when we say that the guru is directly God, it doesn't mean that he is God in every single sense, that he's Krishna himself in person. Hmm. That's not the teaching in Shastra. Guru is Krishna in a representational sense, as my Guru Maharaj likes to say. Hmm. He's a direct manifestation of love for Krishna, and whatever love for Krishna is, Krishna is present there in its most real way. Hmm. He's the direct expression of the Kripa Shakti of Bhagavan, and Krishna's mercy. And he's to be honored, of course, at least equally, or, or even more. Because again, the point is, he represents love for Krishna, and for us the goal of life is love for Krishna, not Krishna. 
Jata Devi Tathagudo, like the scripture says. We are to honor Sri Guru at least as equally as Bhagavan himself, because he's representing him as equal at least, like implying, if not more, because he's showing love for God, which is the goal for Krishna even. He's after Prem, that's his prayogen as well. <laughs> so, and that's why, for example, uh, classical standard, you can see it in the altar, you do not, you do not offer tulsi lips to, to the lotus feet of Sri Guru, you only offer to Bhagavan. If the, if the Guru is Bhagavan in every single sense, then you could put tulsi lips on him, but you do not. It's offensive because it is another, another tattva, another category. Jiva Tattva, Vishnu Tattva, or Guru Tattva, Vishnu Tattva. Hmm? So, and I, today I, I read that that nice line in that connection from Radha Mahaprabhu. He said, God does not descend as Guru, but God descends through Guru. Hmm? So that's a one word difference, but it is an important point. God is not descending as Guru, in the sense His Guru is Krishna in every single sense, but through the Guru we have the connection, the experience of who Krishna is, and we have the hope to attain Him. Hmm? So, that said, yes, there are examples of Guru committing mistakes, again, mild mistakes, and rectifying themselves, which is something glorious, I will say, which is something we need to, to perceive, to see. I mean, if not, it's a little bit like unreal, like every Guru is always perfect, never makes a mistake, and how can you learn from a teacher that is never mistaken? No? Everything is perfect, everything is correct, and you are always the, the one who is mistaken. <laughs> it sounds a little bit dysfunctional, a little bit superficial. A real master is someone who will be willing to, to learn from mistakes. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I don't know, famous example, maybe you know this one. Um... I'll share that later. That's another one. But, for example, they say that Prabhupada was going back for me to what I said before. No? Srila Prabhupada is omniscient. Some devotees will say that. At one point in Iskand, this was a real, a real issue. <laughs> no, I mean, he's omniscient. Prabhupada is, uh, some, even at one point they were saying Prabhupada is Krishna himself and Prabhupada had to stop. There were like sub-movements inside Iskand with all different nuances, apacidantic nuances coming, like he's God, he's omniscient. And when they say he's omniscient, of course, then came, okay, but during Prabhupada's times, we were speaking about yesterday about that, there were abuses in the Gurukul, for example, different abuses in Iskand, and Prabhupada was still on this planet. So if Prabhupada was omniscient, why didn't he do anything about that, you may ask. And they asked that, and some of them reply even, yeah, he knew about that, but he allowed that to happen because he thought that that would be the best way for those persons to go through their karma in that particular situation. <laughs> and you can imagine how where the faith of those who hear that type of reply ends. I mean, many of them left the whole practice altogether by this type of proposal. No, Prabhupada knew about all that, but he considered that was the best way for you to burn your karma through that. So it's, it doesn't make sense. It's not like that. <laughs> Actually, to say that once, uh, and there's one interview with one disciple of him called Rohini, 
and, and, and she told that once, once she told Prabhupada about the abuses, and Prabhupada didn't know. No? And, 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 and he was just in the, meet, in the middle of a big meeting, and he cancelled the meeting, and he immediately started to pay attention to this point of the abuse and say immediately, we have to chastise those, those personalities. And they closed down that Gurukul and so on. So my point is, Prabhupada is showing, he didn't know about that, and he didn't agree about the abuse. <laughs> no? But the other, the other group was saying, he knew, and he agreed. No? But no, he didn't know, and he, agreed, and he didn't agree. Hmm? But again, some of the problematics, the problematic situation that may come when you promote absolute infallibility, hmm? or this other famous story of of Srila Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, hmm? where he will give classes and and some devotees will like type what he was saying, and that at those times there were no recorders, voice recorders, so there were he always had some someone who was typing his lectures. So then they will re review that and check details, and they found some words that they seem to be something that Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta misspelled, that he pronounced wrongly. Technically speaking, some words in, I don't know which language, maybe in English, I, I think maybe in Bengali. So, and some devotees, most devotees, actually were of the idea of there cannot be any mistake in, in what Guru Maharaj says. So there's no need to change those so-called misspellings. Actually, the dictionary should be changed. Hmm? And everyone was like applauding that, celebrating that. Jai, Jai, you have such an appreciation and deep faith in your Guru Maharaj, in our Guru Maharaj. No, dictionary should be changed. If Guru Maharaj say, like, say it like that, it must be a new revelation that the whole world needs to adapt to that now. This type of... And when it came to the years of Srila Siddhar Maharaj, that the devotees were like thinking like that, he totally stopped that nonsense <laughs> and he said no 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 it's not like that no. that type of mentality he says that's kanishta mentality that's the mentality of the neophyte actually a person with a, with a deeper appreciation will correct those details in service to him to bring his proper presentation and, and, and person in the proper glory and light to the world so in service to him one can point to those mistakes. Understanding it's an external thing. It's not compromising his inner adhikar or standing. Mm. So this is one of many examples mm, in this connection. Mm. Another famous example is the one of Vyasadeva himself. I mean, if you want to speak about Guru making mistake, we have Vyasa who is the, <laughs> the very prototype of Guru for us. Mm. We celebrate Guru Purnim beginning of Kartik, uh, not Kartik, sorry, beginning of Chaturmasya. And Guru Purnim is also Vyasa Purnim called, no? like the birth of Vyasa. Vyasa is intimately related with the Guru and is part of our Parampara. And Vyasa Dev made a considerable, if you will, to want to call like that, mistakes. No? In the Bhagavatam himself, he's presenting his anxiety, his, his lack of satisfaction and Narada came came and asked what, what's going on and Vyasa tells and Narada starts to chastise him and tell you made a mistake 
when compiling the Vedas and not highlighting properly Bhakti. So he's showing there's a mistake there. <laughs> and Vyasa is open to recognize that. I mean, open not only to recognize, but to put his own story in the Bhagavatam. This is my mistake here. Do not make the same mistake you yourself again. <laughs> no. And that's glorious for us. I mean, for us, that takes Vyasa to a special position. And all that give rise to the Bhagavatam, to a further upgraded version of revelation, if you will. So he ex exhibited here, there, his self-correction, he put that, he's not that, oh, I made this mistake, I want that, I won't include that in the book, that will be embarrassing for me, let nobody know about it, it's only between my guru and me. No, no, he just like put that in open voice to the whole world. <laughs> And the Bhagavatam basically is a critique of his own previous works, basically. Well, the compilation of, of the Veda and, and so on. And in the Bhagavatam himself, he's starting Dharma Prajita Kaitavo Traparamonir Matsara. Dharma Prajita Kaitavo. He's saying totally rejecting all types, all forms of cheating Dharma. And cheating Dharma mostly means Dharma, Artha, Kama. And even Moksha. And that's all the things that Vyasa wrote about before the Bhagavatam. <laughs> so then he started in the Bhagavatam criticizing what he wrote before. No? Like having the integrity to recognize that and, and continue moving on, progressing. And he says, yes, no problem, you can err. No big deal. We can discuss that and correct and keep growing. Or Even when the Bhagavatam revealed to him, came to him, this famous verse that said, Vyasa may know, he may not know what came to him. Not necessarily he's fully aware of all the things that came to him, for those who say, Guru is omniscient. <laughs> well, Vyasa sometimes is called, considered om omniscient, but it, in this case it said, he may not know every single detail there. So that's also connected, and also something connected that I will like. I, I already spoke about that recently, and, and this next Monday, the second article of my series that I started publishing last Monday will be on 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 this. On, on which topic? On on the topic that a guru being nitisida, and how much and a guru, how necessarily a guru is a nitisida in every single case. In some cases, may not be necessarily a nitisida and can be a sadhana siddha, or can be an advanced sadhaka, and how not any of those things are a problem, should be a problem. And how if we feel there is a problem, then as Srila Purimaras will say, you have a problem then. <laughs> because again, as we mentioned, we, we may convince ourselves and others about our strong strata, no, because of, I do not allow the possibility of any single acharya, having committed a mistake or having say something relative at times because everything is absolute in them. Hmm? Or, or, and, and we may even denounce those who dare to say that the Guru made some mild mistake or say something relative. They do not, they do not have faith, strong faith in them, hmm? at least, or even worse than that. <laughs> but actually, to take that stance, that stance can be actually a show showing our own weak faith, our own tender faith, mm, that needs to absolutize even the relative, mm, even the mild mistake, because we may not have strong enough strength to deal with the, as I may say sometimes, with the realm of paradox, with the realm of those things that 
beg for reconciliation. And of course, a more mature form of faith is open for these things to happen and has the capacity of accommodate challenging statements without one's faith being diminished, but growing actually exponentially. So, so that's the idea, basically. When we, of course, this is not something to be done, but every devotee, you know, neophyte devotees are yet not able to enter into those waters. They may drown there, but we should get qualified to to navigate hmm, those waters because it's it's the ocean we have to go through to to attain higher and higher realms. Hmm. So, so yeah, there is place for mistakes, hmm. and again, not only there is place, it's possible, but it's important. To, to relate with people, with teachers that commit mistakes and we can learn how they act when they commit mistakes. I mean, how they correct themselves, how they up, upgrade themselves, develop themselves. I mean, that's because we have so many mistakes, at least myself. So, <laughs> so also you need some reference from a senior person how to deal with your own mistakes, what to do when they come, when do you realize them, how to act. So, of course, it's not that the guru will be on your same level and committing those same mistakes, but some mild mistakes may be there and the guru is willing to change his view. For example, the classical example where Prabhupada said uh, that the, the brain of the woman is smaller than the, the brain of the man. And, and he heard that from some friend of him in India and somehow it stuck with him and he just never entered into detail and proved if that was real or not and he just repeated that and when he came to to the West and he said that immediately almost they say no 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 it's not like that <laughs> there's no proof that that's that's a fact actually it's, it's the same thing basically in one sense no I mean in, in, in terms of size and so on so and Prabhupada said, oh, really? Okay. So he changed his mind. It's not like he said, no, no, no. I'm always right. I never commit a mistake. Whatever I say, you have to follow. He immediately recognized, oh, I was mistake. I, I received some information that it was not... Okay. So, again, it's, that's not showing, oh, Prabhupada was mistaken. But it's showing he has the willingness to change and accept new information and upgrade, update his vision of things. So that's glorious. I mean, so we need that example. And again, that's part of one's humanity, as Sakyarati Devi said, no? Also, Krishna may inspire the Guru to make some mild mistake to show his, her humanity. As the saying goes, to her is human. So we are not to dismiss our humanity. We want to enter Nara Lila. Nara Lila, especially Braja Lila, Nara Lila is full of so-called imperfection if you will, no? <laughs> so let's say Marathal says, Krishna Brindavan is wrapped around imperfection, around mistakes, like a filter. If we, if we want to pay close attention to, to mistakes, to perfection, or we want to go to love, hmm? despite imperfection. Until let's say Marathal will say, no? Real love doesn't care for imperfection. Real love cares for love. Hmm? And the imperfections actually increase, increase love. Opposition increases harmony, Celestial Maras will say. So imperfection is there, but nonetheless, the great personalities who have love and who take the essence 
will go beyond that. The Bhagavatam itself says that Bhadvisarga Janatag Biplavo Jasmim Pratishlokam Avadavati Api and so on. The Bhagavatam itself says this book, although imperfectly composed, no, there may be some technical error, error here and there, meter or whatever, this accepted, sung, and spread by great personalities, pure of heart. Mm-hmm. So, there is a place for those things, these two things happening simultaneously. And Krishna in the Gita famous verse also, Apichet Sudharacharo Bhajanti Mamananya Bhak Saduriva Samamtabhya Samyakbhya even if you engage in the wor- in the worst possible type of activities, <laughs> imagine most controversial verse of the Gita. But if you are determined in worshiping me with your heart, you are a saint for me, Krishna is saying. You have to, to we have to ruminate on that. Mm-hmm. So that's an important point. Mm-hmm. So if you are determined in loving Krishna even though still you make so many mistakes, in the eyes of Krishna you are a saint. So the point is, we should, of course, get closer to that type of glance as well. Hmm? And yesterday I remember Radha Madhava shared with me a nice quote. He told me, like, not quote, but idea, reflection, conclusion, realization he had. Like, here in Brindavan he told me, no, nobody is perfect. Hmm. And I will add to that, not even Krishna. In the realm of the Naralila. No? <laughs> But everyone loves Krishna perfectly. No. In the personal example and behavior and details, you may, you may get stuck in, oh, they are doing this, like they are not following this, this is not correct, this is not technically right, why they are doing like this. But they are loving Krishna perfectly. So, so that's the, the real perfection, not the other one. <laughs> so in conclusion, just to not really go too 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 much more into detail but the purity of 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 sri guru again going making full circle lies in in his or her desire to to serve krishna purely in his her surrender not in never making a mistake nowhere in shastra says adhikar for being a guru or, or that shows how advanced you are in bhakti you have never made the mistake let me know where is that verse. <laughs> so actually the only mistake is not being fully surrendered, if you will, in this, in this connection. And any other quote-unquote mistake, as we mentioned, is, will be only a chance to put that to test, challenge ourselves to, to improve, and to serve more unconditionally. Because again, if I only serve my guru because he's perfect, that's a conditional love, basically. I only serve you because you are perfect. So basically you are telling, if you will not be perfect, I wouldn't be serving you. <laughs> you follow. So, again, externally may seem I have so much faith in my Gurudev, he's perfect, he's omniscient, he's infallible, and I, that's why I surrender to him. But what if he's not infallible in this sense, not in the sense of relative details? You will be put to test. Will you continue serving him, loving him? <laughs> Or your faith will be shaking because, oh, he mispronounced one word or he didn't know this. Oh, no. So then in that moment, you are being invited to render unconditional service. So unconditional means it doesn't matter which is the, the external condition. Hmm? So when the guru, by Krishna's arrangement, in exhibiting these type of mild mistakes, again, not to mistake, to, com- to 
to mistake with, <laughs> to confuse with the other grossest mistakes, one is invited to grow in one's surrender, more mature. And eventually, when you grow in that direction and when you are really uh, deep into, uh, how to say, into unconditional service, those mistakes will actually be an udipana, be a stimulant to her to serve even further, further, further. <laughs> that, that, that's the very conclusion of the Sikshastakam, the last verse. <coughs> when Mahaprabhu speaks in the mood of Sri Radha, and she basically says, "What well, Krishna may do this whatever he likes with me. He can act as he as he pleases. He can kick myself. He can embrace me. He can appear. He can disappear. Let that." Lampata, Lampata Mani, mm -hmm. that playboy, do whatever he likes. But he, nonetheless, he's the Lord of my life. So basically, that's the same point. He can commit mistakes. We know his, which is his character. He's a rascal. He's a playboy. He's a womanizer. Everyone knows here, <laughs> she rather says. But nonetheless, he's, he's my Pranunat. He's my Praneshwar. I don't care. I mean, I, I love him every, every time more. It's not that Sri Radha's love diminishes when she sees Krishna going to Chandravali, or lying, cheating, doing all these mistakes, imperfections. It, all of that is just nourishing her love. Her love and everyone else's love in Vrindavan. So, so again, hmm? the important thing here is surrender. If there is proper surrender, there is no mistake. Let me finish with this famous story by by Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Srilasya Maharaj, you already may know, but just briefly mentioning again one more time, <coughs> where there was one festival where the deity was to be installed in the Gaudiamat, and Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta was arriving late, and the part of the ceremony called Pram Pratista was to be done when Tulsi was put on the feet of Srimurti, and the devotees didn't know what to do. Now, should we wait for Guru Maharaj? He was delayed in the train. Or should we continue with the festival because so many people was there, important dignitaries? And they asked Srila Siddhar Maharaj, who was his immediate representative, and he said, no, we will we'll continue with the event. And Srila Siddhar Maharaj performed that, sex, that ceremony, although he was not a pretty much famous person for being expert in rituals and so on, but he was a saragrahi. Vaishnav, so he did all that from the most essential place. So, eventually Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta came and everything continued and someone at the end of the event asked Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, um, well, we wanted to know if the deity is actually installed <laughs> because actually the ceremony was not done following all the proper technicalities basically, all the proper procedures as it is described in the Padati, in the handbook or something. So Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta here, he didn't, he didn't ask which was the mistake, but he asked who was the person doing that. <laughs> so so that, that in itself speaks volumes. No, he was straight to the point. He, he didn't care which was the mistake. He didn't he want to know who was the person. And, and depending on who was the person, he was going to tell if there was a mistake or not. <laughs> so, 
So, of course, when he asked who was the person, someone tells Tulasidhar Maharaj who was the one who did that. And immediately Prabhupada to say, a surrendered soul cannot commit any mistakes. Hmm? In this sense, again, hmm? uh, uh, substantially speaking, he's totally surrendered. There is no mistake, even though externally the technicality was there. Hmm? So, some ideas uh, regarding Sakyarati Devi's question. I hope that, that it helps. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there is a follow-up question by Namrasa, and I think with that one we will finish today, if it's possible. So it says, where is the line to draw then? I imagine in connection to everything that I have been speaking now. <clears throat> we may think something is a mistake in the Guru, which may not be a mistake, but because we have this mentality that the Guru is able to make mistakes, then anything is fair game. <laughs> yeah, I get the point. Of course, with this I'm not just promoting... That, that's what I mentioned. Not everyone is, is able to draw the line. To be, because you say, where is the line to draw then? Well, the point is that you have to develop the capacity to draw the line. So not everyone can do that to begin with. No? A Kanishta Bhakta generally is not able to do that. So they are not allowed into that, into that domain, I will say. That, that will be dangerous for them. And that's why in certain stages there is place for this absolutizing. Hmm? Everything is perfect, no mistake, and so on. And the Guru himself may say to some disciples, I've heard that, everything I say is perfect, it's absolute, but as a way of strengthening their, their weak faith in that particular moment, so, but eventually they will be able to deal with some other nuanced complexities that they will find on, on the path, basically. No? <clears throat> so, so again, it's not so much as where to draw the line because not everyone is able to draw the line. And the ones who have the Adhikar, they will, they will know where to draw the line, I will say, basically. No? When, when you... The, I mean... If you are a Kanishta Bhakta and you are serving under your Guru Maharaj's shelter, again, you may not need to, to hear all the things I've been saying, <laughs> to be honest, but at one point for sure, one will. But at that first time, first stage, there is no need for that. You need to pay attention to other things. Uh, so there's not a concern for, for, for some people. Like, like for, for example, one may be speaking about certain things like this, even. And someone may ask, what's the purpose of speaking about these things? So I will think in those cases, the fact that you are asking what's the purpose of speaking about these things shows that you are not ready for, those, for, speak, for hearing about these things. Because you don't, you don't feel them necessary. You may even feel it's a disturbance to what you feel is necessary to hear. And it's okay. If, 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 if you are being honest about where you are, <laughs> I mean, if you are in a place where you don't actually need to hear that, it's okay. But if you need, actually need to hear this, <laughs> and still you are protesting about the topic you need actually to hear, that, that may be more problematic for sure. But if one is a Kanishta Bhakta, one may feel, why, why you are you speaking about this? What, what's the need? And okay, no need to, for you to hear that, you continue. But hopefully you are under the guidance of someone who will tell you, you don't need to hear this, but 
it's not that everyone else does not need to hear this. What you need to hear now is you need to hear now. Other people need to hear other things. And you may not need to hear that and you may not even need to you may not be al need to al enter into that, allow yourself to think about that, but at least be open to the possibility that reality is not only <laughs> about those things that you feel you need to hear now. That's just one point in a, in a long, in an eternal line. So, but if that Kanishta Bhakta remains, as Prabhupada will say, working inside the fence that the Guru puts around the disciple, without looking too much outside what's going on that fence, <laughs> quite narrow-minded, but in a healthy, protective way, eventually, by grace, by connection, by seva, and some bhakti scars, one will grow, 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 mature above the fence and start to realize, oh, there is a whole realm of diversity and possibilities and variety and other things that I never considered before. And then you, you'll have to do something with that. You have to deal with that. And you may go to your guru, to other Vaishnavs to, to present your, your crisis, your new crisis now. So they will, they will congratulate you and welcome to the club. And say, okay, a new club, you're entering to the <laughs> whatever. No? And, and, and you will be well, further trained to deal with that and to deal with that. And, uh, so the point is, it doesn't have to be forced. I'm not with this promoting everyone. Now let's look mistakes everywhere, and you have to. I'm not saying that. But again, there are the two the two ex extremes which are dangerous. No? Of course, being a fault finder, which is at all, is not at all um, healthy. No? But one thing is to find faults. Also, we spoke about this with Ral Madhav. Another thing is to see faults. That's not the same. You can see a fault. It doesn't mean you are finding a fault. Now, there's people who just are following Ramachandra Puri's Sampradaya, if you will. Just fault finders, even when there's no fault at all. They project, they create, everything is tainted with faults. Even in Mahaprabhu, I mean, as you know the famous story. Some ants walking outside and for Ramachandra Puri just... That ant walking outside proved that Mahaprabhu was a a false sannyasi, basically. For seeing one ant walking outside his room, oh, he's a false sannyasi. <laughs> Why? Because there are ants, and if there are ants, it means there are sweets, and if there are sweets, he's eating something he shouldn't be eating as a sannyasi. But Ramachandra Puri himself, when, when he will say, see someone eating too less, because they start eating less, because they know, oh, Ramachandra Puri will criticize, we're eating too much, so they start eating less. Then Ramachandra Puri will criticize, oh, you are eating too less. You are a false sannyasi in, in the other way. You are superficially renouncing too much. And when you start to eat a little bit more, ah, oh, you are eating too much. So the point is, no matter what you do, he will see a fault in you. <laughs> so, so that's fault finding. That's fault finding. You, you really are, cons how to say, like, concerned about seeing faults. Focus on that. But... Uh, about finding faults, basically, no? which is, a t t technically speaking, is a different expression. But, but seeing faults, that's not necessarily a problem. Mm -hmm. Seeing faults is not necessarily a problem. There is one, I'm thinking, let, let me see, I, I found one quote today uh, 
from Bhaktivinoda Thakur, from one article he wrote in this connection, which is very interesting. And I plan to, sh plan to share that with our next episode with Nam Rasa, if he allows me as well. From, uh, where is, uh, I have to see where it is, I don't know. Oh, here it is. From Vaishnava Ninda, it's called. Vaishnava Ninda means to offend the Vaishnava. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, interestingly, especially for those who say it, you cannot, ne you can, you can never see a mistake in the Vaishnav. You can never see a mistake in the Guru. You are all, always the one in wrong. It's not like that. Bhaktivinoda Thakur is not promoting that. It's, we are not, we don't have a culture where we promote. You are always wrong, and the Guru is always right. <laughs> in, in this absolute sense that I'm trying to explain today, of course. <clears throat> and Bhaktivinoda Thakur says. Provided one has the right motive, and of course this is the litmus test, I mean, this is not a cheap thing, we have to really be properly situated. Provided one has the right motive, the scriptures have not condemned a careful analysis of someone's faults. Proper motive is of three types, desiring the welfare of the other person, desiring the welfare of the world, and desiring one's own welfare. So, basically, Notakur basically is saying with that, that criteria can be even applied in connection to Sri Guru. If there is proper motive, again, it's not about doing the thing or not doing the thing. Because you may be not doing the things externally, but internally, you are not doing that for the wrong reasons, actually. And, and increasing your fanaticism and not going deep into your appreciation of Sri Guru and so on. And you may be externally finding fault, again, <laughs> not finding, but seeing a fault, like Srila Siddhartha said, oh no, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta misspelled this. You can say, oh, you saw a fault in Guru Maharaj. <laughs> but he said, no, no, it's, it's, it's not like that, as we mentioned. No? Srila Maharaj will say, I have the exact quote of Srila Maharaj. He said, for those who say, everything is absolute, we have to change the dictionary, he says, this is the attitude of a neophyte, a Kanishta Dikari. The higher disciple will contemplate what Guru will want and correct his English so that his position will stand in public. Such correction is not offensive, but service of the highest quality. <laughs> so you can imagine, no? for some that will be an, an, an apparat. And for someone like Silas Siamraj, it's a service of the highest quality, even though externally it takes the form of you are pointing at the mistake in your guru. Hmm? So, so I would say that's a big part of where to draw the law, the, the, draw the line in this connection. Have the proper motive and, 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 and judge the fruit by the tree. Hmm? How much we are really uh, doing what here Silas Siddhar Maharaj and Silas Bhaktivinoda is, is doing. But again, this is not for someone. In, in the kindergarten of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, basically. But we need to to naturally, gradually evolve in that connection and, and, and under proper Sangha and training, gradually. That service is required. I mean, there, it's required that the devotees render that type of service as well. So I hope that helps, Namrasa. Uh, okay. So I think we, we can stop here for today. So I appreciate your questions and presence and here we continue in Raj Mandal Parikram during this Kartik month 
everything is nice here I'm trying to go to, to some places and I will try to share some pictures these days as well somehow of, some way of extending the, the pilgrimage with all of you and hope to see you next uh, Thursday Srila Gurudev Ki Jai Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Kartik Brata Ki Jai Braja Mandal Parikram Ki Jai Sri Vrindhavandham Ki Jai Gaur Bhakta Vrindha Ki Jai Gaur Primanda Hari Hari Bo